Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you said great. Ha, another day, another day. Wow, we got a great show for you today. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you have a paranormal need or you think you might have a paranormal need, we can get to you. It might take us a while because the state's an awfully big state, but uh, we will make it a point to uh, come out and assist you any way we can. Anyway, just a quick reminder, if you're watching from Facebook today and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that like button. And if you haven't done so already, please be sure, let me get this moved over a little bit, please be sure to hit that follow button. And you can follow, you can either follow my personal page or you can follow the California Haunts Ghostly Events page. And if you're watching from YouTube, let me, oh, there's my direction, I did it, oh, first try. If you're watching from YouTube... There's that little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner on your screen, and click on that, and a little a red subscribe button will pop up. And if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. I have over 490 videos sitting over there, all different topics, and uh, I think you'll find something that you like. And of course, as you're watching this, as you're watching this, if you like what you see, please hit hit the like button or whatever reaction button you want to hit. Just be nice. Okay. Well, if you want to follow, continue to follow me, I'm also on Instagram, and I'm under Ghosty Gal on Instagram. I'm also over at TikTok under California Haunts, which is all lowercase, and, of course, Twitter under Cal Haunts. I'm excited today for this guest because I was in England a couple of times, and uh, my cousins, you know, in their infinite wisdom took me to haunted castles and stuff and all that. And let me tell you, I'm going to tell you something. There's some stories over there. You know, I've been ghost hunting for 25 years here in the States. And when you go to England and Scotland and those areas, it's a totally different ballgame. The ghosts over there have deep, 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 deep stories to tell. You know, and, and there's just so much history over there and so much, so much heartache and everything that went on. And so there's a lot of stories to tell about ghosts and witches and everything over there. And uh, I tell you, so a lot of those stories will curl your toes. They'll curl your toes. So my guest tonight, author Craig Bryant, has stories to tell, and that's what we're going to talk about. Okay? All right. Well, let me bring him in, and away we go. Good Good evening, sir. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. Tell me about you, sir. Uh, okay. Well, I um, live in... Uh, the northwest of England. So um, to make it a little bit easier to find roughly where I live, I live near a place called Pendle Hill, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point um, during this this chat. Mm -hmm. um, if you look for the city of Manchester and sort of go about 25 miles due north, uh, that's roughly where I live. Uh, it's in a county called Lancashire. Um, it's quite uh, rural where I live. It's a, a beautiful part of the country. Um, it rains a lot, so it's very green. Um, we have some fantastic um, landscapes around here and obviously an awful lot of history. Um, and, um, you know, 
ghost stories, stories about witches, all sorts of stuff. Um, I'm an author. I've written two books. Um, I also have my own podcast, um, which is called Paranormal Pendle. Um, and I also have a website as well, which I can, I can give you the website address at the end of the uh, at the end of the video. Absolutely. And I've also done a few uh, a few um, investigations as well, but I'm not really an investigator as such. I'm I'm more of a sort of uh, uh, collector of stories. I'm a I'm a um, you know interested person in in lots of unexplained things. Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm fascinated about the ghosts over there because, like I said in in the intro. I think it's a different, I mean, yeah, we get the sourful ghosts and stuff here, but I think because of the history you guys have had, I think your ghost, your ghostly activity is a lot more intense than what we have here. Um, that's probably the case. Yeah. I mean, we, we do have obviously, you know, 2000 years of history, probably, mm -hmm. probably more than that. Um, but certainly, uh, since, um, the Norman conquest in 1066 we've we've got a thousand years of history there which you know we've we've seen some some ups and downs over the years um and you know we we have a lot of very old buildings a lot of old castles a lot of old um family homes big family homes that the um the landowners um you know the 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 rich people who used to run the country and some would say probably still do um used to own and in fact some of them are still lived in um and so because of the history and you know because of of the length of time that um a lot of these places have, have been around we we do seem to have an awful lot of uh very haunted places um and lancashire itself is, is an interesting county because there is a um, a lot of history um in in lancashire it, it goes back um back a long way um you know like, like i say about yeah, at least a thousand years there's, there's been people living and um initially farming in this area and then of course it was it was really where the industrial revolution started um we had the um uh, the cotton industry um and you know that sort of drove all the the industrial uh, revolution so really lancashire and and t uh, cities such as manchester and liverpool which which are in this area were, were really the sort of cradle of the industrial revolution so there was also a lot of a lot of history involved in that there's a lot of strife and and a lot of you know personal um difficulties for people as as they sort of moved from from being you know rural farmers into the into the big cities and and worked in in the industry can you tell me a, a couple stories? Obviously, you've written these books, and how long did it, first off, how long did it take you to start researching this stuff, and what got you into it? Well, the first book really is is um, is a collection of stories that are uh, my own personal experiences, and also uh, experiences of uh, friends and family. Um, and people that I'd sort of met um, along the way whilst I was researching the books. So there are two books. That The, the one that's on the screen at the moment is the second book that I wrote. Um, Sorry about that. There we go. No, no, that's absolutely oh, oh, fine. Oh, yeah, there we go. It flipped it on me. There we go. I go to feed it, it flips it on me. There you go. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's the, that's the first book that I wrote. And it's, as I say, it's really a collection of stories. Um, I can give you a couple. The um, the reason why it's called the Shadow Man of Accrington. Accrington is a 
um, a small town um, not too far away from where I live now, um, quite close to Pendle Hill. But it's the town that I uh, grew up in. I was born there, grew up there, lived there till I was about um, 35, 36, something like that. Um, and uh, it's one of these towns, again, that, that was very much involved in the Industrial Revolution. So it's, um, you know, there's a lot of old buildings and stuff. Um, the Shadow Man of Accrington, the reason why I called it that was um, I had an experience. I'm in my mid-50s now. I'm uh, galloping towards retirement, hopefully. Um, but way back when I was in, in my late teens, uh, early 20s, I used to uh, work part-time behind a bar. And it was um, it was a private members club. And it was um, situated in a, a very old, well, it was about 100 years old, just over 100 years old building that was um, on three floors. And it, um, what happened was I was um, working behind, behind the bar one evening. Um, this is going back, as I said, to sort of like mid-1980s. And I was actually in, in the bar on my own and there was a room the, the, the room that the bar was in, there was another room to the left of, of, of that as I stood with my back towards the bar looking out into the into the room. There was another room on the left-hand side with a sort of serving hatch that that went you know, through, from the bar into that other room. And, and there were um, snooker tables. I know you, you guys play pool. So if you imagine, you know, four pool tables wow. all, all together, that's the size of a snooker table roughly. Um so the, the, there was there was this room with these snooker tables in it um, and this serving hatch. And what happened was I was actually stood there. It was quite late on in the evening. Um, there was nobody else in the bar. We hadn't had many customers in at all. It was midweek. Um, and I was basically just watching the clock tick down to, to the point where I could, I could close the bar and, and go home. Um, and the only other person that was actually in the building was um, was the guy who sort of looked after the club. Um, it, it, we we called him. The, he was the steward of the club. We we called them stewards. Um, and he sort of looked after the day to day running of the club. Now I knew that he was up on the uh, on the third floor. Okay. So as I was stood there, I noticed something um, sort of in in the other room through this serving hatch. Um, I saw something moving out of the corner of my eye. And when I turned to look, the only way I can describe it is sort of very tall, thin, shadowy figure um, that was sort of stooping and looking down towards um, the serving hatch and sort of leaning through the serving hatch. And I would say this this thing was probably well, I'm I'm over six foot tall, and and this this thing would have towered above me, um, probably seven eight feet tall, something like that. But it was a very shadowy figure, very long, very very thin. Um, I remember specifically it was wearing a hat and it was like a sort of, um, the only way I can describe it, it was like a sort of fedora type hat. Um, and there was no, there were no features. There were, there were no, uh, it wasn't wearing clothing or anything. It was just simply this dark shape, this dark outline that was quite solid, but there was, there was no definition to it at all. And it sort of leaned over, and I could see it put it put its hands on either side of the of, of the bar, and it was leaning through this this serving hatch, and it stayed there for probably three or four seconds, five seconds maybe, and then it just disappeared. So obviously, I was I was really quite, you know, taken aback at this point. And we had an internal phone system. This was in the days before mobile phones, so we had an internal phone system, and I picked up the phone, dialed. Um, the third floor, knowing that that um, he was called Bernard, this this guy, uh, I knew knew that he was up there. 
and he picked the phone up and I said, um, can you come down to the bottom floor, please? I said, something really weird's just happened. So he said, yeah, I'll be down in a minute. So anyway, about 30 seconds later, he came down. I could hear him coming down the stairs. Um, and he came into the bar and he walked, he walked in and he looked at me and he said, you look like you've seen a ghost. And I said, well, strangely, you should mention that. I think I just have. And he said, oh, all right, you've seen it as well, have you? And I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, oh, he said, um, uh, strange shadowy figure in, in the snooker room. Um, quite a few people have seen it. Uh, he said, I've seen it several times. Um, and he said, there's been people who've worked here over the years whilst, whilst I've been here who've seen it, um, immediately put the courts on left and never come back. <laughs> um, now, it didn't have that effect on me because I was more curious um, as to what it was. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'd always believed in ghosts. Mm -hmm. um, my my grandfather used to tell me ghost stories when I was when I was a little boy. So I've always been interested in ghosts. Um, and it was only many, many years later that um, I, I came across a, a, a a radio station um i think it was um i think it was art bell actually um and i came across a recording and he was talking about the shadow people the shadow man or the hat man and it was only at that point that i realized that what i'd seen um all those years ago was probably you know what what we now um term this phenomenon which is which is known as the shadow man or the hat man mm -hmm. so that was something that stuck with me for a long time um, and it, that really was the sort of um, the sort of genesis of why I wanted to write the book because obviously I had this story. Um, so I thought, right, okay, well, you know, I've spoken to other people in the past um, who've, who've told me stories about you know different experiences they've had. Um, my wife um, used to live in a very old farmhouse. It was um, it dated back to the late 1500s, so it was a very old farmhouse. They had a resident poltergeist. Um, the whole family knew about it. Um, used to pay particular attention to um, my wife's, well, my sister-in-law, my wife's younger sister. Mm -hmm. um, used to uh, used to bang on a door in the middle of the night, and she used to shout and tell it to go away, and it would. <laughs> It'd stop. Um, they used to hear it walking. Uh, across the floor, slamming doors, moving objects. Um, there was one occasion where Sarah's grandfather, who's who's no longer with us, but when he was when he was with us, he, he told me this story several times, um, where he poured himself um, a glass of whiskey and he, he turned to look at something on the TV. And when he turned back, the whiskey glass was levitating across the across the room in front of him, um, and then dropped to the floor. Um, and in fact, Sarah's grandmother um, was there as well, so she she witnessed it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and and they also had electrical problems as well. The um, the the electrics used to used to go off um, at, at random times, um, and Sarah's stepdad had to go down into the cellar and reset all the switches. It was a very old um, sort of like um, electrical system, you know, with, with big fuses and all that sort of thing. Um, but he used to have to go down and reset it all the time. They used to hear these footsteps, particularly on the uh, first floor landing. Now, it, she said it was strange because it sounded like uh, very heavy boots, mm -hmm. um, hobnail boots, so, so you know, so sort of like metal metal soles um, on stone. But upstairs on the landing, it, it was all wooden floorboards, and it was only 
after they'd been there a few years, they started to, they had to pull all the floorboards up on the first floor because they had they had dry rot. It was as I say, it was such an old property. Um, and when they pulled the floorboards up on the landing where they where they used to hear these footsteps marching up and down, there was actually the original stone floor lintels underneath. So that was quite interesting. Um, and when they were actually selling the farm and, and moving out, um, every time somebody came around to to actually do a viewing on the farm. Um, all the electrics used to go out so um yeah the, the whoever he was well the, the, they were convinced it was a it was a him um obviously didn't didn't want them to leave so so yeah so it was sort of stories like that um and and you know many many others that i'd, I'd sort of collected over the years and it's something that i've meant to do for a while um but writing a book you know is quite um a labor intensive process um, and it did take about a year for me to write the first book, uh, slightly less to write the second. Um, but they are just a collection of personal stories. There are stories in there that you will not read anywhere else because, you know, they are um, very personal stories to, to people who've, who've never told um, of their experiences before in a lot of cases. Um, and in, you know, certainly in, in every case, the, they haven't been um put into print so so yeah so that that's the first book that's the shadow man of accrington the second book um the black monks of accrington is more of a historical that's the one um that's sort of more of a um historical um account of again the area um around accrington the town that, that i was uh i, I was born and, and lived in um and you know many of the uh, many of the local stories um again there are some eyewitness accounts that um well basically haven't been um published before um from people who've had various experiences um in and around the area and cer certainly some of the more um famous uh, ghost stories and, and legends and so on you know people have contacted me with their own experiences of those which sort of um you know backs up the the stories to a to a certain degree so um yeah again it's um it's a very interesting book i think there's some very interesting stories in there uh, and again the stories that that you wouldn't find anywhere else now when you do when you, when you write these books do you also research the history on the place and how and how yeah. do you do that because I mean, the records go back. I mean, way far. So, are you talking to people, or are there archives somewhere, or how's that work? Yeah, well, both really. Um, there are a lot of historical records, um, you know, going back many hundreds of years. That are um, a lot of stuffs available on the internet now. There is there is stuff in the local uh, reference libraries, local research libraries. Um, so, I've actually been to look at, um, at you know sort of hard documents, if you like, original documents um and also just speaking to people people that i know uh, people who've contacted me through um either my website or social media or have heard heard my podcast um and just approached me with the, with their own stories um but in, in you know interestingly i mean you talk about records i mean our you know our records of, of all sorts of stuff go back hundreds and hundreds of years and in fact i um, one of my other hobbies, which is, is a, a little bit different to this, is actually genealogy. And I've traced my family tree 
on both sides of the families back hundreds and hundreds of years. And in fact, on my mother's side of the family, I can actually trace my family tree all the way back to William the Conqueror. So that's um, that's how he's actually my 36th great grandfather. Um, so <laughs> I am related to, um, to the royal family um distantly but in fact i've probably got more of a claim on the royal family than the current king has um because i am actually descended from the plantagenet kings and not 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 the german kings like like the lot we've right. got in at the minute like they are now yeah <laughs> so um so yeah i mean our records do go back hundreds and hundreds of years and certainly there are a lot of records um about the local towns and cities because as i say because of the industrial revolution um and everything that went with it the, there are a lot of archival um you know uh, uh documents that that are online and you, you know we can go and see at the local libraries so so it's a combination really of, of actually doing hard research and also talking to people um and getting sort of on the ground personal experiences that that people have had well you know I, when you people don't over here don't grasp how old things are where you're at because i mean right now i'm in the process of reading a book every sunday about the salem witch trials which was the late 1600s but that's yeah. nothing to you that's well you go way back yeah i mean we do we we can go back further than that i mean obviously it, gets yeah. a little, it does get a little bit sketchy the further back we go but um but yeah i mean i mean you know the, the salem witch trials were were not that much later than than the Pendle witch trials which we had over here and in fact mm -hmm. you know there are quite a lot of similarities i think between the two um the two set, sets of, of circumstances that that unfortunately you know on on in both stories meant that that there were people being persecuted and mm -hmm. uh, certainly in in the Pendle witch cases you know they were they were executed for for crimes that that they probably didn't do um but I, I'm, I'm actually really interested by the Salem Witch Trials. I think it's something that, that I need to do a little bit more research on because there are an awful lot of similarities, which I think is really interesting. I think it's it was very much, um, you know, the uh, the attitudes of people at the time, mm -hmm. um, and obviously, you know, there were a lot of a lot of people coming, you know, going over from uh from england especially to um to the new colonies as they were at the time um, and obviously taking their religious beliefs along with them and a lot of the hysteria that that surrounded um witches in the 16th 17th 18th centuries uh, were very much um you know religious um uh in uh in genesis you know so it, it they were very much religious um uh what's the word i'm looking for you know that the, they were they were born out of religious uh beliefs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about the pendleton witches well the pendle witches um oh, sorry pendle witches no it's okay um sorry. strangely enough there is a there's actually it's okay there is there is actually a small village called pendleton which is very close to pendle actually okay. so okay. that's it's interesting um yeah um pendle witches um it, it, it is it's, it's a very complicated story it's a very complex story um i try to keep it as simple as possible when i'm when i'm talking to people about it because you you know we could we could talk for two hours three hours about it basically it was um it happened in 1612 um it was it started off in in the area where i live here 
Um, as I say, I live very close to a place called Pendle Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically uh, two families, uh, who, uh, two local families, who were um, they were very poor. They they just they, they had a um, a very poor existence. They were peasants in effect, um, and one one of the families. Uh, well, the, the, it, it had basically been a, a sort of feud going on between these two families for for quite a while, and I think that that had, that had, that eventually sort of stoked a lot of the accusations and, and counter accusations that that were uh, that were being made against various members of the families. The two sort of main protagonists really were were, were the two um, oldest women in in both families. One was. Um, one went by the name of, of Demdike, um, old Demdike. The other one was um, Anne Whittle, who was also known as old Chattox. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were basically um, interviewed, um, various members of the family, both families were were interviewed following um, an incident where a local tradesman um, believed that he had a, a sort of, spell put on him by one of the uh, the younger uh, grandchildren of um, Anne Whittle, one of the granddaughters. They'd been out uh, begging on the road and uh, this this particular um, merchant, actually, a, a guy called John Law, um, was coming from uh, the neighbouring county of Yorkshire. Um, we, we are quite close to the to the border with um, with Yorkshire here. And um, he had encountered um, Anne Whittle and her granddaughter, um, Anne Redfern, and uh, they asked him for to uh, to buy some pins, I think, or, or something something along those lines, um, and he refused. And the granddaughter um, allegedly put a curse on him, um, and within about. 20 yards of him riding off down the road on this horse he actually what people now believe was either a stroke or a heart attack but he basically had some sort of fit and fell off his horse um, and he was taken to um, a local inn where he recounted he was still um, still awake um, he recounted that um, he'd had this curse put on him by uh, young Redfern uh, and from there it just um spiraled out of control the local magistrate who was um, a guy called uh, roger noel got involved Um, he was very much a believer in um, the teachings of the beliefs of uh, the king at the time who was king james the first james the sixth of scotland he'd uh, succeeded elizabeth the first because obviously as you know elizabeth the first had died without any um any heirs so he was um, the the nearest in line for the English throne, even though he was um, the king of Scotland as well. Uh, but he was obsessed with witchcraft. He believed that um, uh, that there were witches everywhere. Basically, um, he believed that people who didn't attend church were um, closet witches. Um, he believed that there was uh, there was witchcraft going on. Um, uh, all across the country, he believed that, um, that he he'd actually been uh, very close to death um, a couple of years after he came to 
um, came to the English throne. He was crossing uh, the North Sea, coming from Denmark in a boat um, with his with his soon-to-be new bride. And they actually um, encountered a very bad storm, which almost sank the ship. And he blamed that um, on witches. Uh, he believed that, it, that the storm had been been caused by by witchcraft. Um, and he wrote a book called uh, Demonology, which was all about his beliefs uh, around witchcraft and what he expected his uh, followers, the people who who uh, also believed in in his beliefs, um, mm -hmm. what he expected them to do. It, it explained how how to how to root out a witch, how to find a witch, how to get confessions out of them, and so on. Um, and Roger Noel was was a, a local magistrate. Um, he wanted to further his career, obviously. Um, he wanted to um, basically get into James the First good books um, in order, you know, to be able to, to um, be invited to, to court in uh, in London. You know, the the poor guy was stuck up here in the in the middle of nowhere um, in the seventeenth century. Lancashire was probably not the the nicest place to live. You know, um, a, a sort of backwater of of the country, really, um, very sparsely populated. So he was probably trying to curry favour with the king. So you know, when he saw this opportunity to um, to interrogate these families, these two families, and and the members of these families. Um, and you know, he, he managed to extract some uh, some very bizarre uh, confessions, various things such as um, you know causing death of, of, of people by um, making what what they claimed were um, clay figures, um, mm -hmm. and then crumbling them and throwing them into the fire, and, and therefore causing the death of the person that that they were supposed to represent um cannibalism was another one that, that they were accused of being in league with the devil um having familiars so um one of the um i think it was chattox said that she had a uh, the devil used to come to her um in, in the form of a black dog um and used to suck blood from her and all all this sort of thing so so there was some uh they, they were they were turning milk sour and turning ale sour and all, all sorts of stuff um if people didn't you know um give them what they wanted and there were a lot of accusations and counter accusations and eventually um there were uh, about 12 of them were taken to a place called lancaster which was the uh, sort of county main town there is a, a castle at lancaster um which is you know it dates back to about 12th century something like that um if you if you look online if you go on wikipedia or something like that just put lancaster castle it's a fascinating place really is um and they used to um hold the the trials there the the local uh, sizes as, as they used to call them um, and that, that's where this old trial, and they were all um, uh, convicted of witchcraft, um, and they were all uh, hanged. So all apart from um, Demdike, who actually died in the cells while they were waiting for the trial, um, they were they were put in the cells for about three or four months before uh, they actually went to trial. And you know they were they were. I've seen the cells. I've actually been been to the castle and. Had a look at had, had a look at the dungeons, and um, you, you know you can just imagine how bad the conditions must have been. Um, and so mm -hmm. she she died before they went to trial. She was one of the elder 
women she was in her 80s um so you can imagine you know it was it was quite a quite, must have been quite a difficult difficult thing to endure um but yeah they were all hanged uh all convicted of witchcraft and hanged um so and the, the interesting thing is that that one of the one of the main witnesses for the prosecution for for roger noel was um a seven-year-old girl um now she was called um jeanette device um and she was she was the daughter or actually she was the granddaughter of Demdike, the daughter of, of elizabeth device who was um another one of the family who were um convicted and and, and hanged for witchcraft um, and it, and it actually the the evidence of this little girl who was seven years of age um, was was crucial really to um, to convicting them all. So you can just imagine the uh, the scenes in the um, in the courtroom with this this little girl stood on a table uh, throwing wild accusations at, at a family, a, a mother, a brothers, a grand grandmother, and and everybody else that that was there as well. So um quite bizarre really there there is a there is a record of the trial um the clerk to the court um a, a person called thomas potts uh, actually wrote um a book about it after the trials so his recollection of, of what went on so it is the only source we've got it is the only written source so we we can you know we we probably have to take a lot of what um he writes in the book probably with a pinch of salt simply because again he was trying to curry favor with with the king mm-hmm. um and uh, he actually dedicated the book to um one of uh james the first's lieutenants um a guy called thomas nivert and interestingly thomas nivert was was one of the um one of the soldiers who discovered uh, the gunpowder plot um in uh 1605 so he was he was uh one of the one of the soldiers who discovered um guy fawkes underneath the houses of parliament so yeah very um very anti-catholic as well um there was there was an awful lot of persecution of the catholics at the time um and that's obviously you know where the um where the gunpowder plot comes into it but um because a lot of um these people who were uh, accused of witchcraft um were probably catholic as well mm-hmm. they, didn't, they didn't go to to church um they, they sort of had you know secret um secret mass and all and all that sort of thing uh so again that that that, that was very much a factor a factor in, in in their demise so it's um it's a very famous case it's you know it, people have since um really sort of uh, investigated and done done research into especially what what Thomas Potts wrote and you know various other um, contemporary trials that went on at the same time and it's it's widely regarded really as one of the um, greatest miscarriages of justice really in in the English legal system um, and you know we've got some <laughs> over the years that have been that have been pretty bad, but um, but this is you know the Pendle witches and, and the trial um, is is probably uh, probably the worst. Well, I was just thinking while you were talking, you talked about the seven year old girl uh, Salem witch trial, similar stuff. Fourteen year old girl is making the accusations, and they actually jailed a little girl that was four or five years old as a witch. Yeah. That's 
yeah the yeah there was i mean the 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 um there were what we what we will class as minors now so you know children under the age of 16 um who were accused of witchcraft and hanged um yeah. you know age really had had nothing to do with it in those days yeah. it didn't matter how young you were if you were accused and and found guilty of a of a crime um obviously in this case you know we're talking about witchcraft but it, it, it could it could be any crime really you know they um they they you know if, if they were sentenced to to death then then that's what would happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well when you start researching the salem witch trials you'll see some really bizarre things i mean this book has just totally blown me away that i'm reading you know about how trumped up it was how 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 they were all in cahoots and all this was going on and it was so obvious it was trumped up but yet they kept going and going and going until they got the convictions yeah i mean with with the Pendlewitz trials there was there was definitely a case of of what a lot of the confessions they were making that they, they actually probably believed themselves mm-hmm. i think it, it was it was a combination really of of um of ignorance and you know lack of education and probably a lack of understanding of, of the seriousness of the um, situation that they were in. But you have to remember that, that these people, especially the, the matriarchs of the family, they were well known locally as being sort of healing women, uh, healing women. Um, you know, they, they, they were the people to go to if, if you, you know, you lived in the village and, and you were ill um, mm-hmm. because, they, because they were the ones that could, you know, conjure up a portion, make a portion of, um you know local herbs and plants and tree bark and that sort of thing which you know which would would hopefully cure you um and 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 that's how they made a living you know they 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 used to do this for for payment um they were known you know locally as as wise women um and they were probably seen as as a bit of a threat to the you know by the authorities especially when they were actively seeking witches you know old, old women you know the archetypal witch that that we think of now on a broomstick mm-hmm. and you know with a pointy hat and, and a cauldron and all that it's actually that's not what it was like at all um that's actually a construct of hollywood um and you know sort of disney and snow white and and all that sort of thing that that they they sort of made this um uh this image of of what they believe the witch should look like when in fact these witches in inverted commas these wise women were were just normal um normal peasant women who who just understood how to use um the local resources in order to be able to help heal people and and that had been going on for centuries hundreds of probably thousands of years every society has them um tell me about the black monks well, this um, this is is related uh, again to Accrington. Um, mm-hmm. There was um, a, a an abbey um, built in about the twelfth century, um, and this was when uh, the, the well the town of Accrington as it is now didn't exist. It was just a, a sort of small farming community. Um, it wasn't until about seventeen hundred when you know when it started becoming industrialized. Um, it was a it was a cotton um, a cotton weaving town really during the the 18th 19th centuries. Um, but the the legend of of the black monks is quite interesting. The abbey was built in about as I said about the uh, well actually it was the 11th century. I 
um, beg your pardon, uh, the 11th century, and it actually um, it burnt down. It was um, the records show that it was actually arson by some of the local farmers who uh, were not happy that the the monks had built this this abbey um, and had started to uh, take over the land around it. So so the farming land that these uh, peasant farmers lived on at the time. The monks were actually stealing the land off them, fencing it off, and using it for their own for their own usage. So the local farmers um, took exception to this, as you would, and according to records, burnt the abbey down. And there were three monks um, were caught inside the abbey and died um, as, as it as it burnt down. And the legends legend is that um, the ghostly figures of these three monks are seen um, in the area where the abbey used to stand um there's actually a street a road in Accrington called black abbey street um and it's the site of where the abbey was and it's called black black abbey street because of the the charred blackened remains of, of the abbey that, that that were left behind um and there's been numerous sightings of these of these monks in fact i had an email from um from a guy uh, when i was when i was researching the book um he actually uh, heard me on um a local um radio station uh -huh. um and I, I just you know sort of said if, if anybody's got any stories please get in contact with with me so so he did he emailed me and he, he, he'd actually had an encounter with this black hooded uh ghostly figure um one morning um whilst he was actually making his way to work um and he was actually crossing uh, some old disused railway tracks uh, and he saw this figure in the distance uh, very early in the morning. Um, he said it was about, about five o'clock in the morning and uh, it was just coming light. And he was walking down along these tracks um, as he always did every morning. And he saw this figure in the distance and he said as he got closer and closer, um, he said he, he, he thought that it resembled somebody who was wearing like a monk's habit. So it had a, a hood up and a long sort of... Um, sort of cloak tied around the middle um and he said he, he got close enough to it to sort of notice really that, that there was there was no face it was just just a black void um where the face should be and um he said it just disappeared in front of him so he was, he was, he was obviously quite shaken up by that um <laughs> but there have been numerous sightings uh, over the years and in fact there is a there is a um there's a police station which is built uh, very close to the site of the abbey and there's a, it's a disused police station now but the the building is still standing um and there are actually local ghost hunting groups who, who regularly go in because it is there is uh, an awful lot of paranormal activity happens in this building mm -hmm. and they have seen several times uh figures of monks um walking through the building so that as i say is on you know it's, it's on the area where the the abbey um, originally was so so that's quite interesting so there have been been quite a number of, of sightings over the years and there's a local legend which goes back way way back uh, way back to when i was when i was nothing but a young lad um about um uh, a young girl who fell in love with one of the monks um and when her um when her brother found out him and his friends um waited in secret for them when 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 they were meeting and um actually killed one of these monks in front of her and obviously she was absolutely uh, distraught by this 
and the legend is that her ghost is often seen on Black Abbey Street, um, and she's 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 um, usually seen holding her, her arms up in the air, waving her arms in the air, screaming um, in absolute um, you know uh, agony that the fact that she's just seen her her lover be be killed in front of her. Um, and there are reports, and this this is this is quite interesting. Um, there are reports that if you approach her and you get close enough to her, she actually bursts into flames, wow. um, which is quite interesting given the fact that she's not actually connected with the burning down of the abbey. So, right. um, although I have spoken to people who who claim to have seen this actually happen, um, which is which is quite interesting. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good example actually of of how sometimes legends can can sort of become intertwined with each other and and sort of create mm -hmm. their own their own legend but um but yeah she she's been seen she's she's very 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 famous in the area and has been seen on on, on, on uh, a number of occasions what's it like for you you know knowing what you know about the area and let's say you decide to take a, an evening stroll or a night walk what's it like for you just to be out knowing that maybe they're watching or, or, or whatever's going on um, well, it's 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 great. Um, I mean, I I love this area. It's uh, as I said at the beginning of of, of the video. It's mm -hmm. you know, it's a beautiful area. Um, it's very rural, so um, you know, we've got a lot of very uh, secluded country lanes and fields and and uh, moors and hills and rivers um, and all, all you know every type of landscape really you can think of um on on the doorstep mm -hmm. um and there are a lot of local legends um a lot of local ghost stories again they're in they're in both books um mm -hmm. about this particular area so around pendle hill um and and, and the area around um ghostly ghostly figures um lots of um big cat sightings you know we we do have a, a bit of a bit of a thing going on around here at the minute with with big cat sightings which is interesting um obviously that's moving away from the paranormal a little bit but there's also a lot of also a lot of ufo activity as well which um i sort of touched on in in both books um and in fact pendle hill is an area where there have been uh, numerous numerous reports of ufo activities over the years um so it's a very interesting area and and it's it's just great to explore you know it's 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 the sort of place where you know you you can just talk to people um and they will they will tell you the stories they will tell you um you know local legends that you maybe haven't heard before or ghost stories that you haven't heard before um and there are some absolute cracking ghost stories you know really just just outside my front door so i am very very lucky what is one of the uh, more scarier stories one of the more scariest stories um there's there's the the story of um there's there's a river very close to where i live and um there's a bridge a road bridge goes over it um and uh, i was told a story by uh, somebody who lives quite close to me that his uncle um, was down fishing on the river um, very early one morning, and he uh, he noticed um, that there was a woman and a child walking across the fields towards him um, and towards the river, 
and he thought it was quite strange because it, it was it was very early in the morning. Um, there was nobody else about. He hadn't seen anybody uh, all morning. Um, and he said that it, it was also very strange because he didn't expect to, to see somebody walking across the fields because there were no um, there were no footpaths across this field. So it wasn't, you know, you wouldn't normally see people just, just walking across the field. They'd, they'd stick to footpaths and roads and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and he said as, as she got closer, she, um, he noticed that she was wearing quite old-fashioned clothing. Um, he said it looked almost sort of Victorian in, in, in the way that she was dressed. Um, and he said uh, that his uncle told him that to his astonishment, when this woman and this little girl got to the edge of the riverbank, um, they just carried on walking across in thin air um, and they just crossed the river in thin air uh, and, and carried on across on the far bank uh, and then just sort of disappeared in, into the distance. And this was very close to where there is a road bridge now. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, I did some research on this. And again, there's, there's the, you know, this research is in the book um, that, be, that before the road bridge was built, the road, road bridge was built in 1930. Um, and it's it's a, obviously a stone road bridge. Now the, the the river at that particular point is 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 always flooding. Um, it's always bursting its banks. Um, and there used to be a wooden footbridge where that particular um, stone road bridge is now. Uh, I've seen photographs of it dating mm -hmm. back to the 1920s. Um, and this wooden footbridge was the only way to cross the river at that point. And, of course, because the river flooded on a regular basis, especially during the winter, because we get a, a, an awful lot of rain around here, especially in winter, um, it was always being washed away. And so eventually they, they decided that they were going to build a stone bridge, which obviously mm -hmm. you know can withstand the floods better. But at the time, the, the wooden footbridge was the only way across. Um, and he was convinced that where he saw this figure of this woman and this little girl crossing the river is where the old footbridge, uh, the old uh, wooden footbridge used to be. Uh, so that that's that's quite interesting. It is. And I was just thinking, too, that every time you say stuff, I come up with stuff. I've been on investigations in like old buildings with psychics. And it's funny because they, they get so into what they're doing that that I guess, you know, they see it like it was. Kind of like you're talking about this footbridge mm. and i've actually seen psychics walk in the, literally walk into walls mm. because there was a door there before in this building you know way 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 back yeah so yeah that story you know that story about them walking across the river like that's totally believable to me yeah yeah um and another one which um is is, is a little less scary um but it's it's just it's it's just as as fascinating um there was a, uh, a guy who was walking from uh, the next village, which is a couple of miles away. Um, and he was walking to the village where I live to meet a friend of his in the, in the pub. And we have two pubs in the village and he was meeting, meeting one of his friends one night. Um, and it, this particular night, it was absolutely throwing it down with rain, middle of winter, pitch black, uh, really horrible night. Um, and, he walked a couple of miles from where he lived into the village and uh, went into the um, went into the the pub. Met his met his friend, and his friend uh, was quite concerned when he saw him because not only was he absolutely drip wet through, but he actually looked quite scared. And when he asked him what was wrong, he said, "Well, when I was walking, because it, it's it's you know 
as I say, it's very, very rural countryside out here. So he was walking down very dimly lit road, very dark uh, for a couple of miles. He said he was convinced that something or somebody was following him. And he, he'd done this walk hundreds of times, never had that feeling at all before. He said he was, he was very unnerved. Um, and so he got himself um, uh, a very stiff, uh, very stiff drink, as we as we say over here. Um, and he was just trying to calm himself down. And there was uh, a woman stood at the bar and she tapped him on the shoulder and she said, I hope you don't mind me asking, but where's your dog gone? And he looked at her and he said, I haven't got a dog. Ooh. And she said, well, one walked in with you when you came in. Wow. Yeah, that's that's quite cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. I like that story because I'm, I'm a dog lover. You see, we have dogs, so right. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, we lost one a couple of weeks ago. So, um, so I like to think that he's he's still around in in some form. That is really cool. Which story um, would you say is your most favorite out of everything you've you, you've been told? Um. In the in the first book, um, mm -hmm. there's a story that I was contacted by um, a lady who uh, used to live in a very haunted house, um, and there were a number of um, entities in this house, particularly uh, violent. Some of them. Um, I won't go into too too much detail um, because I think it's better if people buy the book and read it, right, it, is, it, is, it is a really interesting story absolutely. but again again it was historical um it was it was to do with um uh, with a, a a coal mining disaster um which had happened close to where to where she lived um and it, it turned out that there were disused mine shafts that, that that were one of them went underneath um the road that, that she lived on um and her house was was the particular epicenter of uh this paranormal activity which involved uh the usual slamming doors heavy footsteps um but it, it became worse when um uh, a kitchen knife for instance uh was thrown at her son narrowly missed her son um and she uh employed a medium to uh, go into the house and to try and establish, you know, who was, who was there, how many people were there, um, and what she, uh, what she came up, up with, what she she managed to, to contact these spirits was was really interesting. Um, and again, you know, looking through historical records, it completely matches um, what this medium had, had said. She came out with with a number of names and and quite a few um historical um incidents that that made sense as to why this property was haunted in mm -hmm. such in such a way um but she she yeah she she was they lived there for for quite a few years but she said towards the end the the paranormal activity was so bad um mm -hmm. that they actually just had to move out so so yeah that's that's a really interesting story and there was some quite quite scary hair raising uh things that, that that she said you know about about their experiences what they'd um what they'd had to live through and that so so yeah that, that was that's probably one of my favorite stories but i've got loads i've got loads of favorite stories you know um it, it, there's there's just so many really that it's difficult to 
to pinpoint one which is you know, like you know the most famous i think i think that one's the most intriguing let's let's put it that way sounds like it absolutely so what's next for you well um i'm still doing the podcast um i took a little bit of time off from doing the podcast last year for for personal reasons my uh, my mum passed away last year um and i had a bit of a bit of a difficult time but i'm back on the podcast now so i've got quite a lot of guests lined up for the next uh two or three months actually i'm i'm fairly fairly booked up actually uh which is nice i'm doing some research for a third book um it's going to be a little bit different uh to the two that i've written but it's still going to be uh very much based around the sort of um county of lancashire but it's, it's going to focus a little bit on on different types of paranormal activity, different types of hauntings, um, different um, different areas, shall we say, rather than your sort of archetypal haunted house mm -hmm. uh, or haunted, you know, haunted castle, or um, it's going to be something a little bit different. So I won't go into too much about that at the minute, but I'm doing some research into that. Uh, so hopefully, I'll start writing that at some point uh, this year. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank it was you. wonderful. Love to have you on again. Oh, my gosh. I could talk for hours about this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I don't honestly get to speak to, to many people from um, across the pond. Um, it, it's always a pleasure to speak to, um, to you know people such as yourself because you do have a passion over there for, for the paranormal, which I think is great. Um, and yeah, and and yeah, just just to mention as well, I'm actually um, there's going to be a series on Amazon, and I'm not sure whether it'll be shown shown in America or not. Uh, it certainly will be shown over here in the UK um, sometime in the spring. I still haven't got um, an actual name for it or when it's going to be uh, broadcast, um, but it's a six part um, series on the paranormal of which um, I was interviewed and filmed. Uh, along with uh, some other guests as well so um yeah just keep your eyes open for that my my tv debut <laughs> <laughs> sounds fantastic well once again thank you so much and where can people find you sir uh probably the best place to go actually is my website which is uh craigbryant.co.uk um, and that's got links to amazon for the books the book is the, the books are only available on, on uh, amazon Mm -hmm. yep. uh, also links to the podcast as well so if if people want to have a listen to the podcast um there's about 30 odd episodes on the cover everything from the paranormal to ufos uh to cryptozoology um so yeah there's there's, there's there's quite a big range of stuff um and yeah it's uh it's it's always growing is the website there's there's quite a lot of stuff on there at the minute so that's probably the best place to start all right well thank you so much and i hope you have a great rest of your evening, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And I appreciate you asking me on. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, well, sorry I cut him off early. I'm going too, <clears throat> too fast on that trigger. What a great bunch of stories, and what, what a great collection of stuff. So I hope you guys buy those books. Buy those books from, you know, from Amazon. Fantastic. Anyway, um, tomorrow, uh, I don't know who my guest is tomorrow, but we'll be back at 6.30 p.m. Pacific and, uh, you know, usual time, and you guys can check out the shows. We're going to have a great lineup of shows this week. So I want to thank you all for coming, and I want to thank Craig for coming on again. I apologize for cutting him off like I did until I get the buttons. 
And again, if you uh, like what you see tonight and you're watching from Facebook, please be sure to hit that like and follow, you know, whether you're on my personal page or you're on the California Hospital events page. Uh, if you're watching from YouTube, right down there, that little ghost, click on that. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. We've got over 490 videos sitting over there. Now, probably closer to 500 videos. Kind of cool. We're going to have a big anniversary show. But so I want to thank you all for coming tonight, and I appreciate it. And if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. We just want to get that word out about the show, and you guys are doing a fantastic job. Believe me, you're doing a fantastic job. Okay. Well, that being said, I'm going to call it a night, and uh, I really appreciate you all coming, and I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Here we go. I'll give you some his contact information and off we go website craigbryant.co.uk and his podcast is anchor.fm forward slash craig dash bryant three the books are the black monks of accrington and the shadow man of accrington and as he said, uh, the best place to get those books is, of course, Amazon. All right, guys, I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good night.